I come to you today at a time when many people are worried about the state of our world, worried as well about uh, what's going on in my country. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. This is former US Vice President Al Gore speaking at the Web Summit in Portugal in early November. Gore was closing off the massive tech conference with an address focused on how we, as humans and also entrepreneurs, can address the climate crisis. We know we can do it. We're, we're seeing the development of a lot of momentum. Gore's keynote centred around three main questions that he really wanted to address. Number one is, do we really have to change? The second question after, do we have to change, is, can we change? And then the third and final question is, Will we change? Al Gore is obviously very well known for his work in encouraging people to address climate change. But despite all the negatives of climate change, Al Gore actually believes that new technology like artificial intelligence will actually play a really key role in helping us as humans address the climate problems. Here's what I believe, and the evidence I believe bears this out. Our world is now in the early stages of a sustainability revolution that has the magnitude of the industrial revolution, but the speed of the digital revolution. And Al Gore says that actually the changes that are about to happen are going to come from startups, from entrepreneurs, from people thinking about the future. People like you who give up half an hour every couple of weeks to listen to us talk about crazy futuristic goals. And a lot of these new tools and technologies are being developed by men and women right here in this auditorium today. Thank you for what you're doing. You are already making a huge difference. Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson, and a few weeks ago I was at Web Summit in Portugal, and I had the chance to chat with many startups that were chasing big audacious goals. So today on the show, we're going to introduce you to many of those startups that were working on products from plastics to energy. There were so many fascinating startups, and I'm going to bring you just a couple that I think will actually have a chance of changing the world. Now, in producing this podcast, I've been to a number of technology conferences, but this was the first time I'd actually been to Web Summit. I'd heard plenty about it before, but when I got there, I was totally blown away by the sheer scale of it all. Web Summit started back in 2010 in Dublin and had a small audience of just 400 people. However, these days, it's a global event that attracts 60,000 people from across 170 countries. And when you walk around Web Summit, there's just so many people. There were more than 2,100 startups, 1,400 investors, and there were 1,200 people speaking. So as I walked around the pavilions, there were big stalls from companies like Microsoft and Mercedes-Benz, and many smaller booths from startups just trying to get their idea off the ground. And many of these startups were working on some really interesting things. 
so can you just introduce yourself and what you do? My name is Christoph Pauka, and I'm with Always Blue. I'm the founder of Always Blue from Canada, and we are producing carbon-negative plastics from a food waste. We are located in, in Calgary, in Alberta, in Canada, and we are here at the conference, really enjoying the amazing atmosphere and a lot of uh, energy uh, with the people who really want to change the world with all their solutions to the problems we have and we may face in the future. So you're talking about uh, carbon negative plastic. So what, what, what is that? So, so imagine that today when we produce our plastics, they are made from the fossil carbon. Basically what we do, we extract oil and natural gas, and then from that product, we produce our plastics. So those plastics, uh, the, the, the production of those plastics releases carbon into the atmosphere and causes air pollution uh, and co causes a lot of emissions. At the same time, the, the plastic we, we use is, a lot of plastic is single-time use. Uh, we throw it, it pollutes our oceans, and so it not only causes pollution, but it causes a climate change. And what we uh, embark on is that we actually can produce plastic that is durable, reusable, and recyclable by using as a feedstock a food waste, unavoidable food waste. Because food waste is another problem which we are facing as society. So today about 160 billion US dollars worth of food is wasted every year. And we thought, you know, there's a significant portion of that food waste that is unavoidable. So there are, for example, like a banana peel, you can eat it. You cannot convert it to something we can use. However, the all entrained carbon and hydrogen in it, while growing that banana, can be used to produce uh, plastics that are identical to hydrocarbon-based plastics. Durable, locally made, and rather than contributing to climate change, they actually will help to reverse climate change. And in our vision is to produce it in a very localized uh, uh, plants, so in every community where people live and eat, they can produce all the materials they need uh, by using something that today we consider as waste. Now, the tech that Christoph and his team at Always Blue are working on has the potential to completely change the way the world deals with plastic. A research paper published in the journal Science Advances this year estimated that the world has produced more than 8.3 billion tonnes of plastic since around 1950. That was roughly when the large-scale production of plastics began. The majority of this plastic ends up in landfills or the natural environment, and it's a problem that is causing severe damage to our planet. I'm sure you've all probably seen the videos of the floating piles of plastic which accumulate in the ocean. The truth is, we're very good at producing plastic, and it's actually hard to imagine the world without it. But we're not very good at getting rid of the plastics we produce. Sure, there are some biodegradable plastics, but they're often used for single-use products, and they're not widely used in the manufacturing process. And that's something Christoph is hoping to change. There's a lot of products we make today from uh, high-density polyethylene and polypropylene, which are durable and, and multi-use. I mean, I'm, I'm holding here a, a bottle which has a climber and hiker I use when I go to the mountains. And you know, I, I have one at home which is all over 12 years old. So you can use it for a long time and you know if I don't like it at some point, I can recycle it and there will be another bottle made from it. I mean we're talking about the 3D printing technologies, printing cars, uh, you know there's uh, the tons of materials around us in our homes and in our workplaces that are made out of plastic because plastic at the end is extremely durable, it lasts for a long time, can be recycled uh, and can be and, and it's light. So as a material, it's actually really good material. However, because how we make it and the material we make it from and because some of the plastics we do not treat really well and we throw out and it ends up in the ocean or 
in a landfill, we do not consider a very good material. Uh, so basically what we are saying is that our vision is not to produce any single-use uh, plastics or any packaging. Our vision is to produce durable plastics that can be locally, in a local circular economy, manufactured, reused uh, and repurposed. Uh, as they're being going, as they're going through a process of being utilised. Okay, so you're, you're one year into this, and how is that? How is that process going? Because you're still a startup. So the, the technical and technological part of the process is, I would say, 90% resolved. Uh, we have a couple of questions. It's primarily focused on scaling down, uh, because typical plants, chemical plants, are built as big as possible so you can drive the cost down. In our case, we are not really focused on driving the cost down. Uh, because we are not worried about the cost. So if, if you would apply the full cycle cost to the petroleum-based plastic, it's actually much higher. But today we don't apply the cost of environment destruction, the cost of healthcare associated with emissions. Uh, uh, those externalities are kind of not on our radar yet. Uh, however, we talked to the number of potential uh, buyers of our plastic. And like, you see this bottle I have in my hand. Uh, in Canada it costs eight and a half dollars, but there's only 23 cents of plastic in it. Uh, we talked to the manufacturers of it and they said if you can give us carbon negative plastic we have no problem to sell that bottle for ten dollars because the people who buy our product really appreciate keeping environment clean and they will have no problem uh, based on the market studies to vote with their uh, with their pocketbook now while always blue was that web summit trying to change the way we think about plastic there were plenty of other startups there encouraging people to think about their impact on the world. But sometimes the first step to changing the world starts right at home. My name is Maria McAvena and I'm the COO, so Chief Operating Officer of Verb in London. So Verb is like a little magic box that sits on top of your meter or smart meter and it tells you via an app in real time what appliances you've got turned on, how much they're costing you, how much energy they're consuming, provides you notifications if you've left your hair straighteners or your iron switched on so you don't burn the house down um, and can also do uh, predictive maintenance on your appliances so we can actually tell if your washing machine is going to break before it breaks, warn you about that so that you can take some action before it floods your kitchen for example. So you don't need to install it every appliance it's just one little device it's a box that kind of sits in the palm of your hand super easy to install so we had uh, a group of ladies over the age of 65 and showed them the video and it's called the mum test so we asked them uh, to then fish it having seen the instructional video and every single one of them was able to do it without a problem in less than 10 minutes so from verb lands in your doorstep you'll be viewing your data within 10 minutes how are you able to identify the specific uh, appliances in someone's house so um, we use machine learning technology for this. So if you imagine that we're both speaking into a microphone right now, if we both spoke at the same time, then we could separate our voices using machine learning. So we learn the characteristics of the two voices and we know one's yours and one's mine. So it's very, very similar. We have a single current clamp that connects around the main power line coming into your house. And that's like the microphone for all your appliances. So it's like all the appliances are talking at the same time. And then we apply machine learning to separate those different appliances out. So we can see that a kettle looks very different than a toaster to us, for example. Is it is it uh, like as unique as a as a fingerprint sort of thing, or you know? Yeah, a fingerprint is a very. I hope we get to the point where it looks like a fingerprint to us. Uh, right now, it's more like a voice. 
um, so they, they all sound quite different. But when we get to the, and I think we will get here to the kind of level of detail when it's like a fingerprint, and the most awesome thing will be is that we would even know like the different like brands of appliance or model number of appliance in someone's home. And so we have actually patented the technology that allows us to uh, tell if a product's on the recall list, for example. So say if a washing machine's faulty, we sample that, we can say, okay, this is a faulty washing machine, let's find every house that has that washing machine. If the house has verb, we would know. So um, that's definitely something that's like under development. Verve isn't the only company trying to help people take control of their power. There's also companies like Nurio and also Sense who are making similar devices, although there aren't any products which have the kind of universal scale that most startups are hoping for. However, Maria says there's actually a huge potential for change in the energy market. So uh, basically, the energy market right now is really ripe for disruption. And one of the ways in which that's happening is uh, through peer-to-peer -peer energy trading. So you will have uh, people called prosumers who have solar panels, for example, on their roof. And with battery storage technology, people can now store up the energy they're generating for use at a later date. So if you have solar panels, you'll actually generate twice the energy you need, but it all happens in the summer. With battery storage getting better, it can be stored for longer, but also you can trade that energy, or could in, the, in our utopian world, trade that energy with your neighbour, uh, rather than you getting a flat rate from the grid for having solar panels and the excess being absorbed back up. Um, and also your neighbour would rather buy it from you because they'll get a cheaper price. Uh, so this is a huge area uh, which I think is going to explode. Uh, so it uses blockchain as the distributed ledger. It says how much energy I have, how much energy you have, how much I've given you, how much you owe me. Um, and then you could imagine like whole communities where they have battery storage at the end of the street, half of them have some sort of generation, and then they can all trade energy amongst each other. And now if you've got like I don't know, some sort of like disaster, like a, a hurricane or whatever else, it's not going to cut off the whole energy supply anymore because your street won't be affected. Okay, so while the idea of having this utopian world where everyone can buy and sell their own energy to anyone they like sounds ideal, in many countries that's just not going to happen without some changes to the existing regulations. But that hasn't stopped Verve from already working on the technology that would allow such a system to operate. You know, we have had government funding in order to progress this. Um, and so basically, like, for, so one of the projects um, we're working on is the social housing that already has solar panels. And we're working out how we can kind of trade the energy amongst those. Um, but regulations would potentially have to change. Um, and so we're working uh, with the, the government on how that would potentially work. And we'll be back with more startups from Web Summit right after this break. Now, before the break, we were at Web Summit in Portugal talking to startups that were trying to change the future of plastics and also energy. Verve, who we met earlier, was working on a way to monitor the appliances you have around your home. But I also ran into another entrepreneur who is working on a smart hub-like device that connects to your home energy supply, the goal of which is to change the way that energy is actually distributed and stored. Okay, my name is João. I'm from Ionseed and Ionseed is about distributed control of energy storage and energy producing equipment. Ionseed technology 
is for energy retailers and also for energy consumers such as you and me in my own house. So for the energy retailers, it's a way how to change how their clients are consuming energy, changing uh, when the consumptions are occurring so that they can actually um, optimize how they are buying energy in spot energy markets or in capacity markets, on participating capacity markets. That's what the value that we give to the energy retailer, uh, profiling how their clients are consuming energy. For the energy consumer, we give them a way how to better use their energy systems. The energy systems that Iron Seed actually monitors is everything from your solar panel to your hot water system, because all of these services can actually be used to store energy. So, and for that end, we created an um, IoT device that we called Naush, that is basically an energy gateway. Uh, it's uh, it's a product. Is is this what we're looking at at the moment? Is this the product here? Exactly. So this is the product. It's, like, it's, an, it's a similar to a, t a setup box for the TV, that, but it's different because you connect energy systems to it. You connect, you connect the photovoltaic panel, you connect batteries, you connect uh, hot water tanks, you connect different energy systems. And then now uh, acts like the brain articulating all of these, devi all to all these devices for specific uses. So now works with an application scheme like your cell phone. So you download the application for control that you want. For example, you can just download an application that allows now to schedule your showers for a hot water tank, for example. Uh, that's a basic application for now. Or you can download an application that uh, stores the surplus energy of photovoltaic energy uh, in hot water tanks instead of batteries, for example. It's similar to a Tesla Powerwall without the batteries, because the batteries are expensive, need maintenance and so on, so you don't need to use them you use hot water uh, or you can use a hot water tank and the batteries together why because if you use a hot water tank with the batteries you can actually extend the lifetime of the batteries Ironseed is a Portuguese company and as such a lot of the current functionality like the ability to compare energy tariffs is actually focused on the Portuguese market but the team says there shouldn't be any big barrier to eventually making this product available in other countries and while we're talking about energy monitoring and also energy storage, I wanted to introduce you to a company that is trying to make sure that you never, and I mean never, run out of power. My name is Victor. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Revive Energy. Um, what we do is provide a battery that never runs out of power by turning vibrations into electricity. Uh, what, what vibrations are you talking about? Uh, there's a lot of vibrations, of course, but we like continuous ones, so on railways, uh, helicopters, construction vehicles, cars, things that move usually vibrates a lot, and we can predict the frequency and the acceleration, and that's the sweet spot for us. So your your device captures captures that energy, and then for later use at some stage. Exactly. So we, we capture kinetic energy, which otherwise go to waste, and we use that to power different sensor applications. It's like a normal battery, about a D cell size battery, so about six centimeters in height. Uh, so quite small, so it can be normally attached anywhere uh, where you want it on, on different types of vehicles. So what would be the, like the best application for your technology? Uh, a train, because uh, they run continuously, we can predict the vibration. A helicopter is fantastic. Um, a truck is great as well. Construction vehicle, because they move a lot, they vibrate a lot through the diesel engine. So things that move like that. Compressors and pumps is also great. So. And where would, you, where would you install this? You install this on the track or like, or in the wheels? or It can be installed in the wheels. We've done that uh, and on the tracks as well. 
Uh, it depends usually what the customer want to power, because uh, we do not do the sensor system. Our customer does that, and they inquire us to find out how much power we can provide. But it can be anywhere where it vibrates, usually in industrial spaces, because you know that's where we got the continuous vibration. The product that Revive makes only generates around two to four hundred milliwatts of energy, which is quite a small amount. So, in the case of using it in a train network, Victor says you wouldn't actually use Revive to power the train, but you could use Revive to power all the sensors needed in the network. You know, the sensors that we're about to power is monitoring different things on the boogie. So they're really low powered. Uh, we would place each one unit per sensor. So there's a lot of units per train, which good market potential for us, of course. Uh, so usually that's that's the logic behind it: one unit per sensor. Revive hooks into existing networks and allows the power it generates to be stored in external battery systems if needed. And while Revive's product is probably best suited to commercial applications, it's easy to see how technology like this could become incredibly useful as the world switches off from fossil fuels. Because in the future, we're going to need as much clean energy as possible to make sure we keep up with our growing energy demands. And one of those products in the future that will require energy are, of course, robots. And what tech conference would be complete without a robot? So for you and your dog, we created Leica. Leica is a life companion for your dog. It is similar to a mobile terrestrial robot that you can control with your smartphone from anywhere. Yes, you heard correctly. Leica is a robot for your dog. It's quite small and cute and it can interact with and monitor your dog remotely while you're at work. So that way all dog lovers don't have to be concerned about what their dog is up to when they're not at home. I spoke with Thomas Santman, one of the co-founders of CamToy, which makes Leica. Uh, it allows dog owners to interact with their dog from anywhere, uh, especially when they're at their office and the dog is alone uh, all day long. So they can take the control of the robot with their smartphone. They have a live idea of coming back on it, so they can move everyone in the house and see their dog. Uh, they also can talk to him, and we can notify them when the dog is barking. Uh, because it makes the neighbor crazy about it. Uh, we integrated uh, a treat tosser inside to reward the dog and educate him with the, with the robot. And there is also an autonomous mode, so we're developing a charging base where the robot can go by itself to charge. And we're developing a tracker, uh, which goes on the color of the dog, and this allows us to uh, track the activity of the dog, so we know when he's sleeping and we need to leave him alone, and when he's uh, running everywhere in the house and need to be uh, uh, stimulated or uh, to turn his attention on something uh, else and on the robot. It's quite a small... A uh, little robot that that you've that you've got here. Is there any reason for it being small? Uh, it's like uh, we want it to be like for all dogs, so even for little uh, Chihuahua, and uh, and but also for big dogs. So we designed the product that there is no asperity on it. So the dog, even big dog, can really like take it in the mouth and chew it. Uh, there is also an important phase of presentation uh, because if you put the robot on the floor and you go directly on your dog, he's going to be afraid or aggressive. So well, you, you need to put it on the floor, he's going to smell it, he puts the treats inside and uh, like if, he if he's aggressive, you need to, like, to make him sit in front of the robot, the robot going to send him a treat. And dogs are really smart so they can, they really going to understand how the robot uh, works and how they 
have to adapt their behavior to with the with the robot. Leica can be operated autonomously by the owner using a smartphone, or alternatively, it can use an artificial intelligence system to move around a space and take care of the dog for you. Thomas says the robot will know if your dog needs to move around, whether it needs to be left alone, or whether it needs medical attention, in which case the robot would let you, the owner, know that something was wrong. But how long does it actually take for a dog to get used to having a robotic friend? Yeah, uh, it's really dependent of the dog. Like, we don't have any, like, specific time. Uh, you have dogs, like, in two minutes, they really understand where the, the treats are coming out and popping from the robot. And they will, like, have good behavior with it. And you have others who are a little afraid about it at the beginning. So you have to take time to, to put treats in front of the robot and on the robot. So they really, like, come slowly and smell the robot and you have others that are uh, sometimes aggressive so you have to make them sit and calm them down so like uh, like in uh, two or three hours uh, dogs can really understand how it works. I really enjoyed meeting so many interesting startups at Web Summit and I look forward to returning in the future. It's actually incredibly inspiring to see so many people all in one place trying to break down current ideologies and really change the future. And in the words of Al Gore, Well, let me just remind you that the will to change is itself a renewable resource. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here with you at the Web Summit. Good luck to you. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Moonshot. If you have any startups you think we should profile or ideas you'd just love us to cover, head over to our website, moonshot.audio, and send us a message. You can also reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. Our cover artwork is by Andrew Millist, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media, and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. We'll be back soon with another episode of Moonshot. Moonshot.